all aboard to our new weekly favorite podcast, Next Stop, where you will find out all there is to know about trains. 2021 is the European year of rain, a year to remind us that the journey is as important as the destination. I am Nicola, and this is Next Stop, a podcast by the Spring 2021 trainees of the European Committee of the Regions. Thinking about buying your next train trip? While paper tickets are more and more a system of the past, digital tickets might become obsolete as soon as well. In Sweden, the state-owned railway company SJ became the first travel company in the world to use microchip implants under the skin to validate one's journey. They justify this as technological innovation and being more comfortable and more sustainable. As of 2017, they were already, think about it, 2,500 up to 3,000 people using these microchips. Did you know that some countries in the EU apply a VAT rate to international rail tickets and that, at the same time, the aviation and maritime sector are exempt from these charges? As a result, international rail tickets become more expensive, creating economic distortions particularly considering the carbon emissions of the other modes of transport, it's important to make international train travel more affordable. This is also linked to promoting behavior changes. And what could possibly be done to encourage this? One idea could be for the European Commission to set up an EU-wide ticketing and payment platform to make it easier to buy tickets for international journeys and to protect all passenger rights. Rail only has an 8% share of the passenger and transport market at present and 19% of the freight market. So there is a lot to be done. Other changes to be promoted within the transport system and railway sector in particular is the inclusion of more women, since women represent only approximately 20% of the sector's workforce. How can we change this? And how can we attract more young people? Let's hear it from our guests. Next stop. Joining us today to discuss behavior changes and charging systems in the railway sector is Alberto Mazzola. Buongiorno, Alberto. Buongiorno. Good morning. Alberto is the executive director of the Community of European Railway and Infrastructure Companies, known as the CER. The CR was funded in 1988 and since then has been active voice of the railway sector at the, all of the EU level, covering topics from passenger, freight, sustainability and infrastructure. The, your association, the CER's role is to represent the interest of the members on the EU policy making scene, in particular to support and improve businesses, regulatory environment uh, and railway infrastructure companies. Can you tell us how the CR works to support rail operation as the EU legislative framework develops and as rail is coming into the spotlights across the EU as one of the most sustainable forms of transport? Uh, thank you. Uh, as CR this year in particular, the European Euro Rail, uh, we are very much looking at all the policies that can influence uh, the development of transport and mobility in Europe. First of all, uh, we spent more than 20 years in railway reforms. Uh, we had first, second, third and four railway packages. These were, I mean, very intense piece of legislation. The second strand is about investments. 
So railway to develop, we need a lot of investment. It's a very capital intensive business, in particular infrastructure. So 90% of the investments goes into infrastructure, 10% here on the stock. And this is an important point that it's been developed by Europe also in the last years, particularly the Trans-European Network. It's an important concept, but we still need to increase investments there. Let me say, while the Connecting Europe facility Trans-European Network has been focused, very focused on railways, other tools in the past, the cohesion fund, the national funds, and so on, has been directed more to developing highways and railways. So in the last 20 years, the length on the railway lines in Europe has been reduced by almost 10%. On the other way, highways have increased by 50%. So you can see where the investments went. Uh, of course, now that we are discussing about the Green Deal, about how to decarbonize transport and all this, we realize that transport has been the only sector that has increased their emissions. This is why we are pleading more investment in railways. The message seems to pass in this moment. The last point is level playing field. And we would like that in these fields, I mean, conditions should be fair for each mode of transport. So we are in this moment discussing about how to apply tolls to heavy duty vehicles on road and how to apply them on, on the railways. Each train is paying at all, track access charges, technically speaking, when it's running on the, on the, on the rail and for each kilometer. In many countries, you pay a vignette for one year. The more you run, the better it is for you, but you are not really covering the cost that you are using of the road and the emissions or the pollution that you are creating. So we would like to have a similar system in order to be coherent. So for each kilometer, you should recognize the cost that you are creating to maintain the infrastructure or the infrastructure and for recover the emissions that you are producing. But this change is very difficult. So these are more or less railway reforms. We have done it. We would like to follow on. Investment is a critical point. It's better than before. We can improve and level playing field. We need a lot of work to, to be done here. Thank you. And going on on this theme, actually, one of the biggest challenges regarding the railway sector, as you said, uh, it can be said it is the charging system uh, because international train tickets, because more expensive than other modes of transport, exactly because by train, companies have to pay basically by kilometer, while in other modes of transport, this is not true. Alberto, um, a bit of a challenging question. Can we talk about unfair competition in the transport system? So policies should be, I would say, going or supporting the direction of what you want to achieve. Now we want to achieve decarbonization. Everybody realizes CO2 emissions and other pollutants in the air are very negative for the environment and for the railways as a big advantage. Let's say we are emitting nine times less CO2 for each passenger kilometer compared to air and for each ton kilometer compared to road, nine times less. It's impossible to move everything by rail. I want to be clear here, we need to be intermodal and multimodal as railways, but the more moves to rail, the better it is for the environment. And we need to use this advantage. 
So when you say fair and fair competition level playing field, we need to consider the economic factors that you raised that are important because we are in a market economy and the end the price is very important. And also all these aspects that technically speaking are called external cost and they should find a way in the market. So they should be priced. And if you price all this, probably the equation will be very different in favor of one of the or other modes. Thank you. And exactly as you said, we also have here our statistics that are not really different from what you just said. Uh, transport, uh, considering, of course, the, tra the transport sector is around one-fifth of the global emissions, road transport alone is responsible for 17% of total emissions, aviation around 3%. However, uh, the train sector is only responsible for 0.5, which is <laughs> a totally different number. And it's a really good consideration, especially now that the EU wants to achieve a climate neutrality goal by 2050. And we are talking after the pandemic about a green and fair recovery. Uh, so especially now, considering all of this and all of what you said, do you see potentially in the European year of the rail to change these VAT charges and make trains, uh, generally speaking, more appealing to people also, not just the, from an economical point of view, but also from a practical point of view. What can we do about it? So, railways are paying, uh, when they use electricity, they are paying it yet. Mission trading system, so we pay our fair part of CO2 emissions, which is included in the electricity that we use. Of course, when we compete with aviation, Aviation doesn't pay the CO2. They doesn't pay any tax on the kerosene that is being used. Equally, we have the same problem with VAT and on international tickets. Trains are paying VAT on this, and planes are not paying. These are factors that count. I mean, VAT can be 20%. Your question, can we correct it this year? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, it's a long battle, but I think that uh, the next provisions, at least 50 for 55, that we are expecting from the Commission, should be able, at least, if they don't correct exactly this, they should correct and balance in other ways how uh, the different modes should, should compete among themselves. So we have great expectations on these new measures that will be proposed by the Commission in the middle of July. And then let us see how Council and Parliament will address them and what will be the final result. So that's an important point, uh, not just the proposal of the Commission, but the final decision of political stakeholders. Okay. Uh, when we talk about the intermodality of transports and the role the train have to play in the future, of course, we also have to talk about uh, the possibility, the accessibility for consumers in order to access and take a train. Uh, what would you recommend to our decision maker to put in practice, especially at, also at a local and regional level, to promote this behavior change in consumer and let them use the train more often? Is it ultimately just about the price in your view, or we can do something more? Uh, first of all, thank you for raising the question concerning local passenger commuters and regional transport. Let's say very few in Europe raise this question. Uh, I want to underline, because you are coming from the Committee of the Regions, 
maybe because uh, you are caring for the local dimension, but most of the people here in Brussels think about international trips. That these are important and that we should not forget because probably this is where the European dimension is more important. But let's say that 90% of the passengers are traveling at the local. They are commuters. Yes. People that go to school, people that go to work every day. Uh, so these are one of the most important parts of, the, uh, of the, the railway contribution or railway transport. <clears throat> so getting there, I think to a point of the price or also other, other tools that can help. I think here intermodality is also useful. We should be able to connect railways with the rest of transport, other modes. So how you get to the station, public transport or parking, how when you get in the city, you use also other modes of transport, the underground, the buses, and this system should be integrated. One point where it is integrated in terms of infrastructure, first of all, so that when you get in a railway station, you can access very easily all the other modes of transport and also uh, it's called mobility as a service also in terms of fares and ticketing. This is where we are investing and I think all railways are investing about having integrated ticketing at the local dimension. Uh, and say, I would say in many countries and many cities, this is other way. We can still improve in terms of infrastructure connection but this is a, how easy it is to take a train to take public transport, your question is. So this should be the easiest possible. So the price is important, but not just that. I think it should be really easy to move here and there taking uh, railways. Yeah, thank you for the answer. Actually, I really agree with you <laughs> in the sense that it is way easier for a person to be able to just purchase one ticket and maybe change the modality of transport. It becomes also way easier for the consumer. This is really good initiatives, especially, of course, at the local level. And uh, now, unfortunately, I would like to stay here a lot more with you, but we are coming to the end of our podcast interview. And we know that the CER has been very active within the European Year of Rail, of course, particularly in relation to connecting Europe Express which we already discussed in this podcast series, but what are your expectations for the upcoming Connecting Europe Express and European Year of the Rail in general? What are your views, Alberto? So the European Year of Rail, it has been a bit unfortunate in the beginning. We are in the year of COVID also, so we lost six months. So we didn't have really physical events. The first one that I participated was last Monday when we celebrated the 175 years of the first international rail connection between Paris and Brussels. Mm. So we launched anyway the Connecting Europe Express, a CR together with the European Commission. So all the CR members are cooperating with this. The topic here is to promote first investment in, uh, in infrastructure. It's a 10 train at the origin. So we need to show what will be Europe if we will get all the infrastructures that we need. But we have a bigger ambition because we are promoting to have high-speed connections among all capitals and major cities of Europe. Where you have high-speed connections, nobody will go back to plane or road. So we like to develop this at European level. 
And this Connecting Europe Express, we show that uh, we can do it and we hope we can do it. Uh, what we want to promote here, I think Interrail is very known. We like maybe that when you get 18 years old, every European citizen should get an Interrail pass to go around and know Europe. We would like the Erasmus. When you move in Erasmus, you move by train and not by plane, continental Europe. So we like to promote Erasmus by rail. We like to promote interrail for each citizen. We would like to connect the European identity and railways. So how to build this stronger way? Railways contributed a lot to Europe, can contribute. We are showing that we can connect all the countries. We can connect all the countries and we can do even a better job. So it's a big opportunity that we like we promote railways for one month all around Europe and I hope that we bring results also for the future decisions. Thank you very much. Actually, as a previous uh, user of in the Interrail, it, uh, when I did the Interrail, when I was 20, it completely changed my view of Europe. So let's hope, as you said, that this can also be true for our next generation, for our next EU generation. Uh, grazie mille Alberto, it has been an amazing pleasure and an amazing experience to have you here. Uh, let's hope we can probably catch up live next time in non-pandemic times. And thank you again for your appearance here on our podcast. Thank you, grazie. Please participate to our event also in Strasbourg and promote also with young people and meeting the regions our train all around you. Thank you. And good morning. We have the pleasure to have these with us today. Livia Spera from the European Transport Workers Federation, also called ETF, who was founded in 1999. The ETF has be, since been campaigning for a fair transport system and better working for conditions for transport workers. Today, we will talk about the workforce of the railway sector, particularly on gender equality and behavior changes in the sector. So thank you, Livia, to, Livia, to be here with us. Buongiorno and welcome. Good morning. Thank you very much for having us here today. Perfect. We start maybe with the first question, already one of our really challenging questions. And I wanted to ask you, uh, today we talk a lot about, for example, automation, the reskilling of the workers, and also that there is a worker shortage and a gender balance uh, in the sector. But apart from that, do you think that are, what are the main challenges for the railway sector workforce in the future? Do you think these are the main challenges? What could be highlighted? Do you have something more? Please tell us. So we would need a full day to talk about employment in railway sector. As you know, railway is a very big, is a very big employer. I mean, railway companies are very big employers. They're, they're, they have a very big share of transport workers in general. So we, we, we as transport workers, we like to say that we adapt. We, otherwise, we would still uh, uh, be talking about horse and carts. So transport workers have adapted constantly uh, to, uh, to, to the innovation, to technological innovations. Now, of course, there are big disruptions that are taking place now that are unprecedented. Uh, but for us, uh, the main thing is negotiating change. So this being said, we already have some uh, uh, good examples, for instance, in railway, our unions had, a, had, a, had, a digital, had an agreement of digitalization and, and negotiations with Deutsche Bahn in Germany. Apart from this, of course, in, in railway, we have uh, our, our affiliates are fighting against the continued pressure for 
the drivers only operation now uh, trains uh, are uh, not generating as much as employment uh, as uh, in the past so of course there is much more in the railway than just the train itself but just to say that we are uh, negotiating at the moment with uh, um, CR an agreement about including more women in rail uh, this is a big problem in the sector, so we absolutely need to attract more young people and we need to attract especially more women. The European Year of Rail is certainly for, for us a big opportunity, but let's not forget that the working conditions in the sector have uh, dramatically uh, um, uh, worsened over the last decades. Railway was traditionally uh, a very good sector to work. Um, this reality has uh, changed due to liberalization, due to fragmentation, the separation of, of operations and, and infrastructure and so on. All these trends have pushed for more uh, outsourcing, from, for subcontracting, uh, for more precarious contract. Um, subcontracting is a real issue, especially uh, for, for long distance um, and, and night trains. Now there is a revival of night trains, which is absolutely welcome by us. But what we are telling policymakers, be careful because night trains are the ideal place for creating social dumping practices through, for instance, subcontracting. All the uh, services that are available on board night trains are <clears throat> often done through subcontracting. So for us, this is a big problem and it's, this is a growing trend. Thank you. Thank you. Ah, a really deep, full question with uh, uh, several points to consider. Uh, I wanted to ask you, especially, you also touched the subject of women and young people uh, during your hands were, and uh, according to the data I have, almost half of the workers were aged 50 or above um, in the transport sector, in Europe, in the railway sector. So my question is, uh, of course, that can be seen maybe as a problem. Is it difficult for young people to uh, get in touch with this professional sector? How can we make a railway sector careers more attractive to young people? And is that just a problem of being attractive or there is something more behind it? I think attractiveness uh, comes from uh, good working conditions because there are sectors that have very bad reputation but they pay well and they're still attracting a lot of people so um there is there is when we talk about attractiveness often the employers uh, want want us to join campaigns of making you know communications campaign about the sector uh, the the real thing is 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 uh, working conditions and again there is only one way to improve working conditions: is collective bargaining with the unions. Of course, uh, we need to we need to make sure that that working conditions in in railway uh, get back to uh, what they were in a way that that uh, 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 that they are collectively bargained. And by doing this, we will be able to attract young people, and we will be able, of course, to attract um, especially uh, uh, more more women. Uh, since we are also talking about now women, not just about the employability, but uh, why it is, so it is so important to achieve an actual gender balanced workforce, especially in the transport system, and what added value can this bring to the railway sector? Um, in railway, uh, so we have, uh, uh, we have about 21% of the workforce that is represented by women, but it's very um it's very uneven so we have from two to four percent only of the train drivers 
Uh, and also in engineering and technical position, we have a very low percentage of women. And of course, this contributes to the gender pay gap because uh, the better paid jobs are uh, in railway are those where women are, uh, are, are less present. So this is one thing. It's more making, uh, making the sector, why are, first of all, why are women not joining the sector? It's, it's very uh, trivial issues. It's, um, it's unfortunately the presence still of a male-dominated culture in the sector. The fact that there is discrimination, there is unequal treatment. So uh, this is the fact of an obstacle. Um, Work-life balance can be an issue, of course, in the sector. But also what we have, especially in passenger uh, in railway, um, it's high levels of violence and harassment against women. Um, not only from co-workers, but also from third parties. So passenger uh, violence, it's, it's a real issue. We had some uh, investigations um, in, in the ETF, and this is really a, a very big problem. Uh, we, have, uh, we are at the moment, as you probably know, uh, negotiating a, a, a social partners agreement together with CR. So this comes, um, let's say, uh, as a... As a um, as, uh, uh, as the exit of a very long cooperation with them on women in rail. Uh, we had uh, joint recommendations with them, we had, uh, which were then monitored, um, very good intentions. So we, by, by signing this agreement, we are committing both our members and the members of CER to take some concrete actions for improving the, the, the number of women, for increasing the number of women present in the sector. Thank you. You absolutely gave me a new perspective on the issue. And uh, as you said, absolutely, rights of women are the rights of the entire society. So having a gender balanced workforce will probably be a great achievement for the future of the railway sector. And now we're wrapping up the interview and I'm going to ask you the last question before it's over, unfortunately, because it was a really interesting interview, if I have to be honest. Uh, one of our previous guests, uh, Vincent Emmanuel Herr, in our episode dedicated to Discover EU, said that the European here of rail, and I quote, might be an opportunity for the railway sector to take advantage and to show to young people that they're modern, innovative. Uh, in your opinion, on the other hand, is the railway sector doing enough during this European or during this European here of the rail in that regard? So our impression, and we are uh, we are engaging, we are organizing events, we are trying to mobilize our our affiliates as well on this. Uh, one main problem is that there is a risk to keep this European railway rail as a purely PR exercise. We should go beyond this. We should talk meaningful talks. Uh, we should involve all the actors, uh, including, of course, uh, and uh, uh, the, the trade unions, uh, and we should talk about employment. Yeah, railway. Uh, can can be a generator of employment in the EU, and we should talk about this. But one thing that is also a bit missing in the debate, according to us, is uh, how will the railway change after Corona? Because we know there is a big, big, uh, uh, in the, there is an intention to, to boost the sector, but um, we also know that there will be a drop, that we are expecting drops in, in, uh, in, in business trips, you know, with more uh, online meetings, hybrid meetings and so, and there will probably be also a drop in commuters uh, rates because people will work more from home. 
Uh, and we, th we think that this is a bit of a missing element uh, along with uh, employment in, in, in railway. Otherwise, yes, I agree, this is an opportunity, it's a good initiative from the European Commission. But again, it should be taken in a systemic, uh, according to a systemic approach, because talking about railway in isolation from all the other sectors, it won't help the supply chain, the, the, uh, the users will go to other transport modes if they are allowed to, to save. Uh, at the end, it's all about cost. So we, should high, we shouldn't lower the price of rail, we should higher the price of other, of other sector. Price for us is a crucial element in, uh, in making transport more sustainable. Thank you, thank you very much, Lydia from the European Transport Works Federation. And uh, we see you back on track with our cultural section later. Thank you again for your presence today here. Thank you very much. Next stop. Hola. Bravo. Hola. We are Mila, Xavi and Jose, your cultural advisors on the road. And we are on air again to bring you more interesting stories and facts. I can't believe how much I am learning with you guys. That's the objective, Xavi. And I'm sure our audience is sharing our passion for trains too. Should we start? Let's go! Jose, tell me, why do you look so excited today? Girl, I have been very busy recently. You know how much I like movies. So after my trip to Germany, I started watching many films that are related to trains. And I can't wait to share them with you. Well, there shouldn't be so many, right? You would be surprised to know how many, Mila. The motion power of trains, as a tireless machine that continues its way impassively, has been exploited in action movies and thrillers. Some examples are Unstoppable and Runaway Train. The high speed of trains, together with its limited spaces, makes them an appealing scenario for action scenes, as it happens in Train to Busan, which is a Korean movie with zombies and trains. Can you imagine a better combination? James Bond agrees with you. That's why there are very impressive action scenes with trains in Skyfall and Spectre movies. Absolutely. And one thing I have discovered is the interesting use of the morphology of trains in movies, especially when we see how the vehicle is divided in different wagons according to social status. Water for elephants is an example of this. And another extreme case would be Snowpiercer, where we see a dystopia in which the last survivors of mankind occupy the tail of the train if they are poor or the head if they are rich. You were right. Now I need a movie marathon to watch all of your recommendations. <laughs> Indeed, movies bring us amazing stories, but I'm also into real story. That's why I wanted to ask you if you have heard about the Compiègne Wagon. Yes, isn't it an attraction from Disneyland? <laughs> no, no, Jose, I think you're not even close. The Compiègne Wagon was the train carriage in which two armistices were signed. In November 1918, close to the forest of Compiègne, the First World War ended when Germany surrendered to the Allies with this agreement. Cool. A few years later, after the successful invasion of France, Adolf Hitler had the wagon moved back to the exact site of the 1918 armistice to sign there the capitulation of the French army in 1940. And that's it for today, dear pop wagoners. I think we share a bunch of good information with you. Join us next week for more interesting... Wait, 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 Jose. So we won't be here next week, right? What? Yes, look at your ticket. The final destination of the pop wagon is the seventh episode. Oh, party poopers. 
Focus on the bright side of the track. I really think we have contributed to make the travelers more interested in trains. You're right, Mila. During all this journey, with our podcast guests, we have listened to many reasons for the people to use the trains more. But we should not forget that the central role of trains in history and culture might have attracted some passengers as well. So, who knows, maybe in the future you will be part of an historical trip in a train or, or you will read an amazing book while sitting in a wagon. From our part, we hope you have enjoyed this trip as much as we have enjoyed sharing knowledge with you. And remember, the trains always arrive at your station. The question is, which one to take? You couldn't live without saying your quote of the day, right? Yep. <laughs> Thank you, guys. It's been a real pleasure. Muchas gracias. And as usual, with the Pop Wagon section, our episode of Next Stop comes to an end. Thank you all our listeners and do not forget to follow us and give us your feedback in social media. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all is included. We can't wait to hear from you. We're also coming to an end to our series, so make sure to listen next week to our last episode. My name is Nicola Donelli, and we'll see you in the next stop.